Welcome to Investing Across Borders with Lauren Cohen. Every week, she will share valuable information that you need to know in order to successfully invest in real estate and other business endeavors in North America. We believe in helping clients invest, live, work, and play across borders. And now, your host, Lauren Cohen. Hey, everybody. I am Lauren Cohen. I'm known as the Canadian Whisperer, and I'm excited to be here today at our Investing Across Borders podcast, where we teach you how to invest, live, work, and play across borders. And oh, by the way, if you haven't subscribed yet to our podcast, please do. We are available on all podcast forums and channels. And we also are available on our site, laurenesq.com is our podcast website. And please visit us at our brand new to be launched site. Well, by the time you hear this podcast, it will be launched investingacrossborders.net. We're really excited because it's all about adventures. And when you're investing across borders, it's always an adventure. And the important thing when you're undertaking any adventure is to have a good navigator. And we pride ourselves on bringing together a team of amazing navigators. And one of them is my friend, Derek Fahey. Now, Derek, did I say your last name right? Because every time I say it wrong. You said it right. Awesome. Okay. I have known Derek for, I don't know, about 10 years. No, since, since I was pregnant, maybe? What? I think it's been 10 years. Okay. So my son is 12 and I always just judge everything by like kind of like we now judge everything by pre-COVID and post-COVID. It's about like, did I have a kid when I met you or not? And that's that that defines how, how long I've known you. But we I think we met we met kind of um, uh, informally and then we met again at a BNI meeting, which was in Deerfield. And we just started talking and we hung out a few times, went for lunch and we did this, and we did that. And I probably have sent Derek, I don't know, 20 or 30 clients over time that need different yeah. types of, of, um, of, of intellectual property coverage. And every single time the client is happy and he's fair and he's reasonable and he knows his stuff. And his firm is called the Plus Law Firm. And um, I will just let him briefly give an introduction of himself because you don't often get an intellectual property attorney with the personality and the client-centric focus that Derek has. He's very generous. So please introduce yourself. Thanks, Lauren. Thanks for having me. So again, my name is Derek. My name is Derek Fahey. I'm a registered patent attorney and trademark attorney with the Plus IP firm. You forgot the IP. Oh, I'm sorry. IP stands for intellectual property. All good. Um, So I've been practicing. I'm going to quiz you on all my company names after. So you'll see. You have a bunch. So I, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so I'm a registered patent attorney, trademark attorney, and I help people monetize and protect their investments and their inventions and brands. And uh, I've licensed to practice law before the United States trademark office. Took a separate bar exam to do that. I have a background in engineering. And um, okay, well, let me interrupt you for a quick second. So a lot of people don't realize that, that to be a patent lawyer, you have to also have an engineering background, correct? In the U.S., that's correct. Yeah, because, uh, and, and I understand this, but you, you, it's such a specialized area. So you, there are lots and lots of trademark attorneys, lots, a lot, like I could be a trademark attorney, for example, but to be a patent attorney, you have to have a special designation and take a special exam, right? That's correct. It's called a patent bar. Yep. And, uh, and you, you, you're, you're in an elite. How many patent lawyers are there in the country? 
I don't know, but it's a smaller bar yeah. because I mean, you know, there's not many engineers that want to become a patent attorney. You know, yeah, you have to be attorney. a true intellectual because you want to go through a lot of school. Okay. Yeah. So I, I'm not sure if I'm intellectual, but I like to learn. That's my yeah. thing. Well, I like to learn. <laughs> right. And I'll tell you one thing. It's funny because I just started a new initiative with lawyers, other immigration lawyers. And um, my coach was, was and, and in this mastermind, we were just talking about how lawyers really all, often, not all, okay, we've got some exceptions, we know, but at the end of the day, most lawyers thrive on learning because you're always striving to improve not just what you know for yourself but and for your clients, but also where we try to have mindset in mind. And, you know, I know you spend a lot of time on the ski slopes. Is that still true? Because I remember that's where you went on your honeymoon, right? Yeah, well, not a honeymoon, but yeah, I... I spent a lot of time on slopes. Yes. Yeah. So we have to have balance because being a lawyer, especially an intellectual property lawyer, is challenging because you have, are looking at papers and being very, very detail oriented every hour of every day. Because if you miss something, your client's future is at stake and, and trademarks and patents and copyrights and all of that. And by the way, all of us, I just told Derek that I don't have all of my stuff covered. And so we're going to have to have a conversation about that because I need coverage as well. And we're all guilty of not covering our books, our, you know, stuff that we need copyrighted so that people don't steal it. I mean, at the end of the day, there's a lot of information that's out there that we are not properly protecting. And this is one of the excellent skills that Derek brings. And he is so generous, like I said, with his time, he is always willing to talk to a client and walk them through, well, this is a patent or this isn't a patent or it's patentable. Tell us a little bit about the difference between a utility patent and a regular patent. Sure. So first of all, a patent is a legal document that allows you to prevent other people from making, using, or selling an invention. There's just three types of patents. There's a plant patent. So if you're uh, developing a cannabis strain with a high CBD, low THC, you can do a utility patent for functional features of something. So utility, think functional. So how, how a piece of medical device, um, uh, how a, a medical device operates, how software um, maybe there's a certain software algorithm, software application that's patentable. Um, that's utility. Design patents protect the, the ornamental features of something. So what something looks like. Maybe it's a unique perfume bottle that's selling like hotcakes, right? That's you, you can uh, protect with uh, design patents. And uh, why why would you want to protect your information with patents? It's a huge competitive advantage, right? So imagine you spent hundred thousand uh, dollars you know whatever the cost is on yeah. developing a software application or some sort of device you want to prevent other people from your bet your research and development so that's what a patent is so um let's talk about what people traditionally know as a patent like coke right which is a formula right Coca-Cola. That's a trade secret treats coke is a trade secret oh right 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 we yeah. talked about this right yeah and actually that- i in my book. So there you go. But yeah. So, so what, tell us some examples of a patent that people could understand in real life. So um, like an example of a patent. Yeah. Like something that people would know, like a patented product that people would know. Okay. All right. Um, Let's think. Um, 
I'll tell you, we talk about Coca-Cola. Coca-Cola, a long time ago, had a design patent on their shape of their bottle. Okay. Oh, uh, that patent cool is actually, bottle. yeah, it was a cool bottle, right? And when you see that bottle, you um, you think of Coke, right? You know, so, Coke. Yeah. So that, that's one example of a design, a design patent that you've probably, you've probably uh, seen before, right? Um, another, another example of a, an example of a utility patent that you, you may have, you you most definitely use is in your, the computer, right? The computer has thousands of patents on it, right? So whether it's, whether it's, um, a microprocessor, whether it's a semiconductor, people are spending millions of dollars developing that and you need to protect other people from using it. Right. So. Those are some different examples of uh, utility patents. Um, medical device, yeah, you know, that's those are a couple of things that I. There must use. have been a lot of patents that were developed when during COVID. Yes. Yes, there was a huge influx of intellectual property, and they had you know the USPTO. US, when I say the acronym USPTO, that means United States Patent and Trademark Office. But the USPTO, they actually had to create a whole new system to expedite certain COVID-related um, yeah. vaccines and things of like that nature. But, yeah. you know, people are at home. People are at home, have nothing to do. Coming up with ideas. Some of the cool ideas. Yeah. You know? Listen, when you're an entrepreneur, my team is like, oh, no, what's she on to today? And, <laughs> you know, as a lawyer, I didn't know that I was an entrepreneur. But once I hit the ground running, I, it was no stopping me. So yeah. and it's interesting that you say that about COVID, because one of the areas that we focus on is called EB-5. And EB-5, as you probably know, and I'll just share with the people that don't, is a program where a foreign investor invests a certain amount of money. Right now, it's 800000 at a minimum and $1.05 in other circumstances. They invest the money into a project. Usually, the project creates at least 10 new permanent full-time jobs, and the person gets a green card. Now... The queue for these, initially they get a conditional green card and the queue can be as long as two to three years to just get the conditional green card. So you're in this waiting period. So if you don't have access to a different visa, like you're from China or from Brazil, and you may not have access to another visa to get into the country sooner, you're waiting. But during COVID, they created, well, they they had many projects that were in that went into an expedited processing time because there was there was such a need to bring in the funds to to be able to produce the product that was COVID related, and so a lot of people went um, pursued those because it was an expedited time time frame, and even if they were a little more risky, the time frame made it that much more feasible because people most people in that that have 800 or 500 earlier thousand to to invest they're not going to worry they're, they're more worried about getting the green card than about the return on that investment so they'd rather see their money at risk and get the green card especially for children so it's very interesting that that also mm-hmm. happened with the us uh, pto because um yeah so that's an interesting synergy there and so yeah. bringing uh, talking about synergy so we were talking before we started the podcast about the fact that most people we recommend i believe that most people own the intellectual property in their personal name so that it's an asset that is owned by them throughout time and like if they sell the company they don't have to worry about selling the intellectual property because it's not owned by the company and we talked a little right is that right yeah we talked about that that's correct okay yeah. and now for my clients that are looking for visas, 
If you own intellectual property personally, it will not be part of your investment because you own it personally. And you don't want to sell it to the company because that defeats the purpose. But what you can do is set up some type of a license agreement where the company licenses and pays a license fee to you to, to use this intellectual property, whatever type it is. And then you can use the, the monies that you spend on that license, you can use them as part of your investment. So that was something interesting as well that we really hadn't, I mean, I don't think either of us explored it and it kind of just came up because it is, it is a fact, like most people do own intellectual property personally. So, um, and I've brought some interesting characters Derek's way including me because I'm next, but yeah, so there's, there's, there's just a huge amount of opportunity. Let's go back to trademarks because trademarks are much more common than patents and almost everybody that's in business probably should have a trademark of some sort, unless they're in a franchise business, then they're, you know, a franchisee or they're, you know, running a little small mom and pop, but most, most people probably have at least one or two trademarkable logos or trademarkable uh, programs or something, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's a great point. You know, at least your business name. Um, And, uh, you know, the first step, Lauren, quite honestly, is if you're coming into the U.S. with a business or a business name, you need to make sure that you can actually at least least see what else is out there to see if it's going to cause any legal risk. Right. So you could do research, what's called, which is known as a clearance search to see if somebody else already has your name registered. And if they do, you need to think about if you need to pivot a bit to change the name so that how it's not going to cause any legal problems like a trademark infringement suit in the future. That's that's a big deal. You don't want to spend. No. Yeah. You don't want to spend a lot of money developing a brand coming to the U.S. and all of a sudden you get slapped with a cease and desist letter saying you have to stop using it. So. Yeah. Is, is and then so you build your brand and you're suddenly like, I, I'm facing that myself. So, and you're suddenly like, oh my God, I have to change my brand or pay this guy like hundreds of thousands of dollars because I infringed on his trademark. And yeah. one of the things that I really like about Derek's firm is that they do this search as an initial process. So instead of you paying 2000, 3000, whatever, for the actual trademark application and going through all of the trouble of preparing that application and processing it and all, all that stuff and all, on the fee to USPTO on top of that, you can do this search for $400. This is our the current price as of um, the end of January, 2023, subject to change. But for $400, you can work with Derek to get a legal opinion about whether or not this trademark is likely to be infringing upon an existing trademark if there's anything out there that seems to be in potential violation and if not then you go forward and yes that initial research fee that clearance fee goes toward your full trademark search so uh, i'm sorry your full trademark process so it's it's a great program that that not a lot of trademark attorneys offer which is kind of like you know it's like doing an inspection kind of thing when you're buying a house because you don't want to buy the whole house until you've made sure that the house doesn't have, you know, mold and termites and all these fun things. Right. You know, and we actually started doing that, that, you know, step by step because clients would come to us, we, they pay for the whole, the whole shebang. And then we do a search 
And then we say, listen, you know, it's not really fair to take the money, you know, receive the money for the work we did do. So we have to refund the money. Yeah. So it's just so much easier to take it step by step. It's a lower cost, makes it so much easier for the client. And I think they really appreciate it. Yes, I agree. I know there was one instance where we found a potential infringement and we didn't go forward with the this, the particular client. So yeah. it's it's a great way to spend a few hundred bucks instead of a few thousand and find yeah. out if maybe you might be in violation and you need to rethink your plan. Yeah. So um, now let's talk a little bit about trademarks and their scope. So when you get a trademark, what in the US, where are you covered or protected by that trademark? That's a great question. So you know, this is one of the things that people that are coming from other countries need to be aware of, right? So you only are protected in the United States. You're only protected where you use the trademark. So if you're in Canada or another country and you have a brand in Canada and you're selling goods and services in Canada and you're coming to the United States, don't think that how if you have a brand in Canada it would automatically apply in the U.S. It's, it's really geographically specific. So just something for people to be aware of is, you know, even if you have an established brand and you're bringing up, maybe coming into the United States, uh, you may have, may not be able to use a particular brand. It happens a lot. You know, you may have to come up with like a, a different um, name or something like that. And something to think about as well is not all brands translate, you know, yes. um, if you're, you know, so maybe one term in, in you know, one term in, the, you know, Canada you know, as a different term in, in the United States. I, I, work, I worked in uh, Northern Alberta when I was an engineer and a lot of terms, right? So a lot of terms that I heard, I, I heard of. And uh, totally different meetings. You know? Exactly. Yes, yeah. they speak a little differently up there in Northern Alberta, for sure. I, I hear you. And, and it's not only that, but then there's also language issues. Like if you're going into Canada, for example, or you're from French Canada, your your trademark may not be applicable here. Yeah. Um, come up with a name that generally can be uh, uniform, like Starbucks or Apple or those kind of things. Where your your you know Starbucks means Starbucks. It didn't exist before it was Starbucks. Google didn't exist before it was Google. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so it's kind of crazy to think about these names that are like crazy names like and now they're part of our everyday vernacular like every single day right taking yeah. our money at starbucks going into apple i'm obsessed with that store hopefully not generally for repairs but my son is like mom how many apple products do you have i'm like let's not count them there's just too many you know i don't even yeah. know how to use um a pc anymore so really? I, yeah, it, it's completely different. And I once they somebody told me once you start with a Mac, you will never return, you will never go back. And I really haven't. I mean, once in a while I have to use it and the keyboard is different because things are in a different spot. So and I type super fast. So I, I don't have patience for that stuff. I'm like, get me over this, moving on. So um, but yeah, it's great. And I, I think that that's so important because a lot of our clients don't realize that they have probably intellectual property within their business as soon as they start because the name you come up with i'm thinking of one in particular that probably needs to come to you right away and i'm going to refer her over to you probably but she's in the midst of getting her visa right now so remind me that there's somebody who, who definitely needs to come to you like me but let's wait till she gets her visa because um she's very focused on that at the moment but with that being said 
you, you, if you want to continue to build your name, especially across state lines, you want to have some level of legal protection and the trademark is the best way to do that. Then comes copyright, which is a little different. Tell us a little about what copyright is and what is a trade secret? Because sure. that's important because people don't realize that a lot of what they're doing, like a lot of what I'm doing is trade secrets. It's not, it's not necessarily a, a trademark or a cop, I'm sorry, could be copyright, but it's not necessarily a trademark or a patent. It's definitely trade secrets that people get access to when they work with us. So tell us the difference between the copyright and the trade secret, if you would. Sure. So copyright protects uh, things um, that are written down, um, things that like software code. It's really any work, legal definitions, any work that is fixed to a tangible medium. So it could be software code. You can have software code. Mm -hmm. You get a copyright for that. Art, photographs, um, your standard operating procedures, right? Your you can actually copyright your agreements if you have a complex mm -hmm. agreement that a competitor may want to use, or you have an employee, you're going to hire employees and you want to prevent them from using your copyright your material. You can actually um, copyright your material as a way to prevent them from doing it or make it more difficult for do, to do that. Um, but that's generally what a copyright is. It's a, it's a work that's fixed to a tangible medium. A trade secret is the exact opposite of a patent, more or less. Okay. So some great ideas are not patentable. And uh, for example, you brought up the, um, the Coca-Cola recipe, right? Just like, just like, you know, your, 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 your mom's, you know, chocolate chip cookie recipe. That's great. That's a secret. It's a trade secret. You need to take measures that are reasonable within what you're doing to keep the information secret. So if it's a special formula or manufacturing process, you may not want all the employees to have it. You may want to have only key employees to have it. You may want to have those employees sign non-disclosure agreements. You may want to have people coming into your facility sign documents, you know, that keep it, make sure it keeps it secret. So that's the difference. Unlike patents, you know, that you have to file a document with the government to get a patent, the trade secret, it's really up to you to keep it secret. So you have to take regional yeah. measures, whether in the U.S. or in other states, other jurisdictions as well. Yeah. So um, I, I now after we talked about Coke, I remembered that we I, I I wrote a little book on franchising, and when I wrote that book, I talked about the different types of intellectual property because, of course, a lot of franchises must have some level of intellectual property because they have to protect their brand because they're sharing it with franchisees. And even in a licensing arrangement, that's also relevant and applicable because, again, you're giving them carte blanche to use your brand and your brand needs to be protected. And you also need to have policies and procedures and all of this. But like, you know, McDonald's, I mean, that was that was an interesting one. Right. The first the kind of first big franchise and the guy basically took their name and it was their name. And they, but they didn't have a trademark. So he just did what he wanted to do. I mean, you know, it's, it's a kind of crazy story. And because of that, McDonald's became what it is today, despite the original McDonald brothers, right? Kind yeah. of crazy. So, yeah. So it's just an interesting um, twist on everything to learn about the different types of intellectual property. And one thing that I know, kind of like I say about taxes is, I only know a little bit, obviously, about intellectual property. Most lawyers should stay in their lane 
And that's what I do. <laughs> Stay in my lane. I don't do taxes. Okay. I don't handle real estate law. Um, I don't uh, protect your assets and I don't protect your intellectual property. What I do is I have partners like Derek who do that. So I bring in the experts to make sure that my clients get the top level of protection and guidance that they need rather than having somebody like me be a jack of all trades because that doesn't serve anybody well. And, and like I said, I've been working with Derek. We've had a nice, really nice rapport for the past 10 years. It's always professional and always congenial. And, and that is so appreciated because, the, and the clients are always happy. Okay. Not everybody's going to hire him. Not everybody's going to love the results sometimes because you can't guarantee that anything's going to happen. You can't guarantee that your search is going to be a positive and you're going to be able to go forward. But what I can guarantee is that Derek will always be professional and always be diligent in his work and thorough in his work and also responsive. And that is as important to my clients as anything else. So Derek, um, if you would share how people get in touch with you, we're going to put it all in the show notes, but please do share that. And then we'll, um, we'll get this baby wrapped up. Okay. Sounds good. You can reach out to me by email. Um, or you can contact Lauren. Um, yeah, I know how to reach him. <laughs> yeah. I have uh, ways. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, my email address. It's okay if I get my email address. Of course. Sure, yeah. sure. It's uh, Derek at plusfirm.com. It's D-E-R-E-K at plus P-L-U-S-F-I-R-M.com. I have a YouTube channel. If you Google Derek Fahey Esquire, uh, we post a lot of different cool, I think cool stuff about intellectual property law and patents and and um, my Instagram and YouTube you TikTok handles are Derek Fahey P-A E-R-E-K-F-A-H-E-Y P-A. Lauren, thank you so much for ha- having me. I really appreciate it. It is truly a pleasure, Derek. And um, we must get something on the calendar to talk about my intellectual property needs. And we've got a lot of clients coming your way this year. And we love sending them your way because, again, as I said, we always know that they'll be happy. So for today, I am Lauren Cohen, the Canadian Whisperer. I also do other whispering too, but I'm definitely not the dog whisperer. I have a little puppy I'm trying to train. She doesn't even listen to come. But anyway, um, <laughs> she's really cute, so she gets away with a lot. But it's, a, it's truly a pleasure to bring our Investing Cross Borders podcast to you. We would love for you to subscribe so you can hear more guests like Derek and amazing, amazing guests that are clients and friends and colleagues and partners and all of the above. And I'm signing off for today from in the Investing Across Borders podcast, where we teach you how to invest, live, work, and play across borders. Thank you and see you soon. Bye for now. Thanks for listening to Investing Across Borders with Lauren Cohen. Make sure to check the show notes for any links and for guest contact information. If you have questions for Lauren, please reach out to her at founder at ecouncilglobal.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, rate, review, and share the podcast with a friend.